Welcome to God's Story, the narrative adaptation of the Bible. This week's chapter covers 2 Samuel 2 through 12, as well as 1 Chronicles chapters 22 through 26. Chapter 13, The Reign of King David. As time passed, David began to question whether or not he should stay in Gath. So he asked Yahweh, Should I return to Judah, the land of my fathers? Yahweh instructed David to settle in the Judean city of Hebron. With their most famous commander returned, the people soon declared him king of Judah, where he reigned for seven years. During this time, having already married Michal and Abigail, David soon found he desired yet more wives and married Ahinoam, Makkah, Haggith, Abital, and Eglah. Except for Michal, each of these wives gave David children. First Ahinoam's son, Amnon, then Abigail's son, Kiliab, who died at a young age, Makkah's son, Absalom, and daughter, Tamar, Haggith's son, Adonijah, Abital's son, Shephatiah, and Eglah's son, Ithream. But David didn't know that Abner, the commander of Saul's army, had escaped with one of Saul's sons, Ishbosheth, and had crowned him the new king over all of Israel. When the Judeans heard the news, they refused to acknowledge him as their king over David, which sparked a civil war lasting years. But with the hand of Yahweh guiding David's forces, they became stronger and stronger while Abner slowly became weaker. As the war continued, Ishbosheth began to suspect that Abner was in fact only seeking power for himself. When Ishbosheth confronted Abner, his reply was, Do you think me some Judean lapdog? My whole life I have been loyal to your father and his family. I could have easily handed you over to David, but I didn't, and now you treat me like this? I swear that I will fulfill the promise that Yahweh made to David, and I will make him king over all of Israel. Ishbosheth was afraid of Abner, so he said nothing. Abner then sent a message to David Make peace with me, and I will help extend your rule over all of Israel. David replied, Good, I will make peace with you, but only under one condition. You must bring me the daughter of Saul, whom I earned the right to marry through combat. So Abner took Michal away from her new husband and brought her to David. He then went about speaking to all the leaders in Israel under a banner of peace in order to make David king over all of Israel. When Joab, a nephew of David, learned that he had made peace with Abner, he said, What have you done? This man and his army killed our people in combat, even my own brother Asahel. He's lying to you so that he can get advantage over you. But when Joab saw that David was unmoved, he left to track Abner down without David's knowledge. He took Abner aside, telling him that they needed to speak privately, and then killed him to avenge the blood of his brother. When David learned what he had done, he cursed Joab and wept in mourning over Abner. For the entire day, David refused to eat, and everyone who saw him knew that he had no part in Abner's death. David gathered his men and said, Don't you understand? A great commander, a great man has died. Even as I become king over all of Israel, I am weakened because of his death. Without his aid, my enemies may be too strong for me. 
May Yahweh's justice be brought upon Joab. But because he was family and David did not want to weaken his position further, Joab remained in his army. With Abner dead, Saul's army knew that remaining loyal to Ishbosheth would bring them nothing. So two soldiers, Bana and Rechab, hoped to ingratiate themselves to David, and they snuck into Ishbosheth's tent and killed him. Then they traveled to David, saying, We have killed Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your greatest enemy. Today God has gotten revenge for you over Saul's family. David replied, The last person who sought to use the turmoil of this nation for their own self-interest lies dead. How much worse will it be for you, who murdered an innocent man in his own tent in the hopes of ingratiating yourself to me? After dealing with the two assassins, David located Ishbosheth's body and had him buried with honor alongside Abner. Despite the murder of David's enemies, the peace pursued by Abner held. Soon the leaders of Israel came to David and made him king over the entire nation. Now, the city of Jerusalem, which had first been captured in the time of Joshua, had fallen under the control of Canaanites who had remained in the city. So David's first act as king was to gather his army and retake it. David said to his men, whoever leads the attack will become my top general. Joab saw this as an opportunity to gain goodwill with David once more and volunteered. Under Joab, the Israelites quickly captured Jerusalem and made it their capital and set about fortifying it to even greater heights. But David's coronation kindled the fury of the Philistines against Israel, believing that David had betrayed them. As they sent their army towards him, Yahweh said, Go, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. And by the insurmountable will of Yahweh, David's army decimated the Philistines when they met in battle. With his capital established and his enemies defeated for a time, David next ordered the Ark of the Covenant be brought to Jerusalem. When it finally entered the city, David's joy was uncontainable. He took to the streets, and among his people he danced with all of his heart, removing his kingly attire in his jubilation. The Holy Spirit was on him, and he sang this song. The earth is Yahweh's and everything in it. Yahweh laid its foundation upon the seas. Who will ascend the mountain of Yahweh? Who will stand in Yahweh's holy place? The one that has clean hands and a pure heart. The one who has not given into vanity or spoken deceitfully. Let the everlasting doors be lifted up so the glorious one can come in. Who is the glorious one? Yahweh, the strong and mighty. But when Michal looked down from the palace and beheld the revelry of David, she was disgusted at his impropriety. In that moment, she knew that the love she once had for him had been extinguished. After she had risked her life to rescue him from the wrath of her father, he had abandoned her for years, even marrying another in order to increase his own wealth and power. And then, when it was advantageous for him, he had her torn from her second husband. Now, as she looked at him, she did not see the valiant commander who had defeated Israel's enemies time and again, but only an undignified churl. So... After the celebration had concluded and David returned to the palace, Michal confronted him, saying, Is this how the king of Israel ought to act, dancing around half naked for everyone to see, like some commoner? But David replied, 
My ecstasy is for Yahweh alone, who chose me over your father or anyone in his household to rule this nation. And yes, to honor God, I am willing to become even more undignified than this. But the commoners that you look down on, they will honor me. The two were cold with each other from that day forth, and they never had children. After the ark was brought to Jerusalem, a prophet named Nathan came to the city to share the word of Yahweh. One day David said to him, Here I am living in a palace, and the ark of the covenant sits in a tent. Nathan replied, Whatever you're thinking of doing, you know that Yahweh is with you. But that night, Yahweh spoke to Nathan in a dream, and the next morning he delivered these words to David. God says, Will you build me a house to live in? I've not dwelled in any house since the time that I was brought up from the children of Israel out of Egypt all the way up till now. But I've been in a tent. In all the places where I traveled with the children of Israel, did I say to anyone, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? I took you from a shepherd to be a ruler over my people. I was with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from your sight and have made you like the greatest man in this world. And when your days are done and you sleep with your ancestors, your offspring will then become king. He will be the one to build my house and his kingdom will reign forever. He will be my son. The spirit of God will never depart from him. You wish to build me a house, but I will build you a house. And your house, your throne, your kingdom will last forever. After hearing this, David left Nathan and went in private. There he said to Yahweh, Who am I? And who is my family that you have taken us this far? And as if that wasn't enough, now you give me this vision of the future. What can I say? You know my heart, God. You are the great Yahweh. There is no other as your people have witnessed for themselves. Who is like us, the nation that Yahweh adopted? You performed miracles. You defeated our enemies and their false gods so that your name could once again be known throughout the world. We are yours forever, and you are our God. Keep the promises you have made to me about the future, so the people will see you as the God of Israel. The kings of the earth will rise up against you and your anointed, but on your throne in heaven you scoff at them. You rebuke them in anger, saying, I have installed my king on my holy mountain. You said, You are my son, and today I have become your father. I will make the nations your inheritance. Sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Serve God with fear. Celebrate Yahweh's rule with trembling. For the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Yahweh has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So be warned, you rulers of the earth. Kiss his son, or your ways will lead to destruction. But blessed are those who take refuge in God's house. The years of David's reign continued under the blessing of Yahweh. Whether it be the Philistines, Moabites, Arameans, or Ammonites, no invader could stand against the might of Israel. Indeed, under the command of Joab, the Edomites were almost completely destroyed, with only a few fleeing to Egypt. Having already defeated the remnants of the Amalekites, David fulfilled the prophecy made by Balaam, who said to Balak that a ruler will rise up out of Israel who will crush Moab, Edom, and Amalek, and all those who oppose him. When David wasn't engaged in statecraft, his mind often turned to the loss of his beloved friend Jonathan.
Thinking aloud, he asked his attendant, Ziba, who had also served under Saul, Does anyone in Saul's family remain alive that I can show kindness to in memory of my friend Jonathan? Ziba answered, While you were in exile, Jonathan was married and had a son named Mephibosheth. The boy was only five years old when his father and grandfather were killed. The woman who was taking care of him picked him up and fled from the approaching Philistines, but she stumbled and fell on the boy and his feet were crippled. David immediately sent for Mephibosheth. When he arrived, David said, Though your grandfather saw me as his enemy, don't be afraid. The friendship that I had with your father is far stronger. I wish to bless you as your father blessed me. So I am giving you all of the land that was once Saul's. I want you to live here with me in the palace. Dine at my tables as though you were one of my own sons. Mephibosheth bowed and said, Who am I that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then David said to Ziba, I have given everything that belonged to Saul to his grandson. I now have a new job for you and your family. Be the caretakers of his land. Bring him the harvest so that he will never lack anything ever again. Though Mephibosheth was now well taken care of, the rest of David's kingdom soon suffered through a strange famine. When David spoke to Yahweh about it, he was told, Your kingdom is suffering, because the murder of the Gibeonites by Saul has long gone unpunished. So David summoned the remaining Gibeonites and asked, How can I give you the justice that you deserve? They replied, We have no right to demand anything of you. But David insisted, Just ask for what you think is right. Saul decimated our people. We, we have no city to call our own in all of Israel. Let the blood that is on his hands fall on the heads of seven of his offspring in the sight of God. David replied, I will give them to you to atone for their murderous father. When justice had been served, the famine ended. Times of peace were always fleeting for David in his life. One night, as he stood atop his palace balcony thinking about the war that was currently being brought to them by the Ammonites, he looked out over the city and saw a woman who was bathing on her rooftop. She was beautiful, and he asked one of his attendants who she was. That's Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah, who's a soldier in your army. He ordered that she be brought to him, and they spent the night together. She returned home, and as the weeks passed, she realized that she had become pregnant. When word of this reached David, he had her husband Uriah returned from the battlefield and brought before him. He feigned interest in the war, asking about the soldier's morale, but then he asked, Why don't you go home and spend some time with your wife? David hoped to convince him that he was the father of Bathsheba's child, but when Uriah left the palace, he instead spent the night in the servants' quarters. The next day, David asked, You've been fighting hard. Why didn't you spend the night with your wife? Uriah replied, The Ark of the Covenant is in a tent. My fellow soldiers are in tents on the battlefield. You want me to relax in my own house and spend the night with my wife? It would be disrespectful to my fellow soldiers to even think of doing such a thing. David invited him to spend the day in the palace and even gave him too much to drink so that he would return home in a drunken stupor, but he again spent the night with the servants. 
Fearing what he had done would soon be discovered, David sent Uriah back to the battlefield with a letter for Joab, which said, Uriah longs for the glory of battle. He said so to me himself. Put him in the vanguard where the fighting is fiercest, and then back away from him, for he desires to prove his mettle by battling our enemies alone. In the heat of battle the next day, with no one to defend him, Uriah was indeed killed. When Bathsheba learned of her husband's death, she mourned. But after her mourning ended, David took pity on her sadness and took her as another wife, and she gave birth to a son. Though what he had done could not be proven, rumors crossed the land like strong winds about who the real father of Bathsheba's baby was and what had happened to Uriah. But Yahweh would not allow the actions of David to stay in the shadow of his heart. So when Nathan next met with David, he said to the king, I have a matter for you to adjudicate. There are two men in a nearby town, one rich, who owns lots of sheep and cattle. The other is poor and has just one lamb, which he raised. It grew up with his children. He shared his food with it. It even slept with him. It was like one of his own children. One day, a guest arrived at the rich man's house, but the rich man didn't use any of his own animals to make a meal. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb. David was very angry to hear this, so he said, Whoever did this deserves to die. He should repay that man at least four times the value of the lamb he stole. I mean, who could be so heartless? You are that man. Yahweh made you king over Israel, rescued you from Saul, gave you a princess as a wife. And if that had not been enough, Yahweh would have given you even more. Why have you shown contempt for Yahweh's law by doing this evil thing? You stole the wife of Uriah. You had him killed by the swords of the Ammonites. And now the sword will always threaten your house. From within your own family, you will face disaster. With the horror of his actions laid bare before him, a wave of guilt crushed David's spirit. In that moment, this man who had fended off beasts, soothed a king, defeated a giant, escaped persecution, spared his enemies, and conquered armies, could only reply, Though the evil I have done has hurt the innocent, my family, my country, myself, in my heart, I know that it is Yahweh who I have wronged most. Nathan replied, Because you have repented, merciful Yahweh forgives you. This evil you have done will not be the end of you, but the child you had with Bathsheba will die. Then Nathan left David alone, his soul still in agony, his mind racing. He sought to once again distill his feelings into a psalm. Have mercy on me, God. Wipe clean the stain of my wrongdoing. I confess my sins, though they will always be in front of me. It is you, the king of this world, that I've wronged. Though there is evil in me from the moment that my mother conceived me, you desire truth from us from the beginning. And so from the beginning, you teach us your wisdom. Make me hear joy and gladness again so that these bones of mine that feel broken may rejoice. Do not dwell upon my evil. Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Lift me up with your spirit. Then may I teach others your ways and lead them back to you. 
Save me from the guilt of the bloodshed that I have caused, and I will sing aloud of your righteousness. For I know that in your heart you do not desire a sacrifice, or I would give it. The sacrifice you desire is not burned on an altar, it is a contrite spirit which you will never scorn. Soon David's son became very sick. Though he knew what Nathan had prophesied, David prayed ceaselessly for the child. He dressed in rags and would not eat anything. But after seven days, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him because his grief was already so great. David saw them whispering among themselves and asked, Is the child dead? Yes, sire, he is dead. With those words, David got up, washed himself, put on his clothes and worshipped God, and then returned to his house and ate. His attendants asked, Why are you acting this way? When the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that he's dead, you get up and eat? When the child was alive, I fasted because I thought perhaps God might have mercy on me. But now that he's dead, what good does fasting do? Can I bring him back to life? I will go to him some day, even though he will never come to me. In spite of what David had done, Bathsheba found comfort in him as they mourned the loss of their son. In time, when they had recovered from their grief, Bathsheba once again became pregnant and gave birth to another son, who they named Solomon. The years passed, and though the memory of David's wrongdoing never faded, because of the forgiveness of Yahweh, David continued to strive towards holiness as a man and as a king. David grew especially close with Solomon, and it was with him in mind that he made extensive preparations for the building of the temple, including the materials and the craftsmen that would be needed. And he also assigned duties to the priests, musicians, gatekeepers, and treasurers that would also be needed to work in the temple. He said to Solomon, Son, I had it in my heart to build a temple for Yahweh, but Yahweh has told me that because my life has been marked by war, I'm not the one for this task. Yahweh has told me that you have been anointed as the next king. You will be a man of peace. And so the building of this temple will fall to you. May Yahweh be with you. May you have success in this task. May Yahweh give you wisdom when you rule. And may you always keep Yahweh's commands. Don't be afraid or be discouraged. Take heart. Then David summoned the people and said to them, Listen to me, my people. I had it in my heart to build a temple for Yahweh, a permanent home for the Ark of the Covenant, the footstool of God. But it is not for me to build it because of my war-bound life. Yet Yahweh chose me from my family, my family from the tribe of Judah to be king over Israel. Though he is not my eldest, Yahweh has chosen Solomon to be the next king and to build the temple. I charge all of you now before each other, before Yahweh, be careful to keep the commands of God so that we may remain in this land and pass it on to our descendants forever. And to you, my son, Solomon, follow the God of your father with your whole heart and mind. Remember, Yahweh knows your every thought and feeling, but if you reject Yahweh, you will be lost. In addition to his plans, David donated large amounts of his personal treasure to pay for the construction of the temple. 
Many people followed his lead and donated as well. Then David offered this prayer. Praise you, everlasting God of our father Israel. You are great and powerful and everything in creation is yours. You rule over all and all good things come from you. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to do this? We give back to you just a portion of what you have blessed us with. I know you see our intentions and know that we give to you willingly. Remember this and bless us. And though he had lost much and done much to atone for his sins, the doom prophesied by Nathan had not yet fully come to pass, and David never forgot these words. The sword will always threaten your house. From within your own family, you will face disaster. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Matt. If you want a transcript of this chapter or any of the previous chapters, you can go to mattsgodstory.blogspot.com. And if you want to email me uh, any feedback, that's mattsgodstory at gmail.com. That's M-A-T-T-S-G-O-D-S-S-T-O-R-Y at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day and are staying safe.